Father, that's what we're here to celebrate this morning, that in Christ we have hope. And so, God, we're so thankful for that this morning, that you loved us enough, that you showed us mercy, that you sent your Son to die for us, to give us his righteousness, so that we could stand before you holy and pure with a hope of eternity with you and with God's people. And for that, we say thank you, Father. So, Lord, I pray you'd speak to us now by your word this morning as we think about that living hope. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Well, good to see everyone this morning. I'm Pastor Jared Jenkins, one of the teaching pastors here at Risen Life, and we welcome you to Risen Life. And, uh, you know, we're kicking off this, this uh, Advent series on hope, and I was not hopeful Saturday. You know, I was kind of in the dark thinking the dark lords of the Trojans might overtake the Utes. And yet, lo and behold, a great light shone in Cam Rising, and we won the ball game. Yeah. So there is hope, and yet there's a greater hope than football <laughs> that we're going to talk about this morning. There's a greater hope in Christ and all that he has done for us. And so, you know, this Advent, this idea of Advent basically means coming. Right, that Jesus, we're celebrating that Jesus has come, and we're looking forward to Him coming again. And I read an interesting article last week. Have you ever asked yourself, why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Right, what, where did this come from? <clears throat> and they were saying that this came about because not only did the early Christians believe that uh, Christ died on the Passover, that He was crucified on the Passover. But they also believed that he was conceived on the Passover. Think about that for a second. And so what's nine months from the Passover? Well, it's December. And so from April to December is nine months. And so they thought that Jesus then was born on the winter solstice. Now, they had the day off just a little bit. They thought it was the 25th. We know it's the 21st now. But this whole idea had bigger purposes about it, that it wanted... This idea of Christ's birth and his death, what God was doing was in concert with his creation and that our lives would just be filled with this at every turn, that as we walk through the seasons, we would be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And so in his birth, we remember his death, and in his death, we remember his birth, and in his coming as a child, we remember his second coming Again, that we'd have a rhythm to slow down and celebrate what God has done to save us. See, our Christian faith is not meant to be in addition to our normal life. It's meant to be woven into the very fabric of who we are and all that we do. And so I want to ask you, let's slow down this month. It's already going, right? Christmas season is underway. But let's remember what God has done for us as we celebrate each of these parts of Advent. And so this morning we're focusing on hope, the hope that is to be found in Jesus and in the gospel. So I picked one of my favorite passages on hope, 1 Peter 1, 1 through 13, this morning to consider our living hope. And so let's read uh, what Peter reminds us <coughs> of here. You can turn in your Bibles there and we will <coughs> read these verses. Peter begins his letter by saying this. I, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in 
Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And we could add to that in the elect exiles here in Utah, right, in Salt Lake City. And wherever you are from, Peter is speaking to us, believers in Jesus. He says we've become believers, in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's great when you look at this, Peter is speaking to us as believers in Jesus, that God planned from eternity past to speak into our lives, to make us believers in Him, to sanctify us, right, so that we would be obedient followers of Him, to show the world what God is like. And Peter wants us to experience more of God's grace and peace in our life at every turn, okay? Now, here's the cool thing. He then is going to explode with enthusiasm for what God has done in verses 3 through 9. In fact, if you look at the Greek, verses 3 through 9, they're all one run-on sentence, okay? Because he just starts, just starts coming out of him. Here's what God has done. So here's what he says. He says, Blessed be or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's telling us here that if you are a follower of Jesus, God has made it possible for you to have a real and tangible living hope. Hope is not a word that we just hope is hopeful. It's real. And man, we need it, don't we? Who in here needs hope this morning? Right? All of us. Maybe you came in feeling hopeless. Listen, there's a lot of things in our world right now that can strip hope out of our life. Many of you struggle with seasonal depression. We have a broken relationship. Marriage that's struggling, job dissatisfaction or loss. I talked to a few people lost their job this week. Grief from the loss of loved ones that you begin to remember in this season. Maybe just the drudgery of everyday life, right? Monday morning, I got to get up and do all the normal things and get hopeless. World events can lead us to hopeless places, maybe even suicidal places. It's a loss of hope. But listen, as a believer, hopelessness is a lie. That is a lie from hell. That Satan wants to steal the joy of your salvation in Christ. My goal this morning is that you would see that in Jesus we have a living hope. Okay? It's alive and strong. It is available and sure and we got to reconnect with it this morning. That's why we're pausing. That's why we think about these things in Advent. Now, Peter tells us several important things about this passage about our living hope. Here's the first thing he tells us. <coughs> he tells us our hope is focused on what God has done for us. 
Okay, we, we lose hope because we try to solve all the things around us. We take those on as burdens, and yet he says, look, look what God has done. God has showed us mercy, and that's caused us to be born again. And, and being born again, this is the essence of the gospel. You can think about Nicodemus talking with John, uh, talking with Jesus and John chapter 3, and Nicodemus is trying to figure all this out, and Jesus says, look, Nicodemus, uh, it doesn't matter, you've got to be born again. And he's like, Jesus, I don't understand, how, how can a man go back into the womb and be born again? He says, you don't get it, Nicodemus, you've got to be spiritually transformed. I've got to do a work in your life by the Spirit. You must be reborn by the work of God. As Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27 looked forward to the new covenant that was going to come in Christ's blood, it said there that God would take his people from the nations, as Peter is addressing, that he would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh by the Spirit, and that he would then cause their heart to beat for his things. This is real life transformation. This is what the gospel is about. God doing a work in us. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord, then I encourage you to do so today. I'm telling you, this is the only way to find sure hope in our world. Everything else passes away, all right? The Utes are going to lose again, right? The AP is going to like the Trojans better than us no matter what. Okay, Our hopes in this life pass away, but Peter's saying this hope in Jesus is sure, <laughs> and it's alive, and it doesn't go away. But again, this is the work of God in us. He does the work of transformation in you, and all he asks us to do is to yield to what he is doing in him, become followers of Christ. Never been about what we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. Not the truth, but what he has done to save us. And if that is the case, if this is about what God has done, then hope is sure because it's not about our failings. It's a really good thing when you're wasting away eating that bowl of ice cream in front of Netflix because you're depressed again. At least this is where I go when I'm depressed. That it doesn't depend on me because I'm not getting up from Netflix. Right? It depends on what God has done. For me. In fact, Ephesians 2 8 and 9, one of the best verses in the Bible. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And that makes it sure. Our hope is alive because it's rooted in what God is doing in our life and not our own efforts. <clears throat> and then Peter secondly says this our hope comes through Christ's resurrection from the dead. This is what we were just singing about this morning. The resurrection is the mechanism by which we receive hope. <coughs> okay, why is that? A couple reasons. One, the resurrection proves Jesus is who he says he is. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope, right? The resurrection also shows that God is happy with who Christ is because he allowed him and raised him from the dead. He's happy with his life and his sacrifice on the cross. 
The resurrection also demonstrates to us that Jesus has made a way from death to life. And that's a good hope. Jesus invites us to follow him. Listen, death is not the end of our story for Christians. Death is not the end of the story. Our biggest enemy, the thing we all fear, the thing that stops the party pretty quickly, death, defeated by Jesus. That's a good thing. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:55, "Oh death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because Jesus has overcome death." Right? Jesus invites us to to follow him through the death that we experience in so many ways of our life into real life, eternal life that begins now and will last forever. There is hope. Listen, if you struggle with seasonal grief around the holidays, as you're thinking about loved ones that have gone on, God says, "Look look to the resurrection. Find hope in the resurrection. That's not the last word on their life. And it won't be the last word on our lives either if we're trusting in Jesus. Our God brings the dead to life. Our God can create out of nothing. Listen, whatever you're facing this morning, whatever crash landing you've had in your life, these things say it's not the end. God can do something. He can move and bring life in the midst of tragedy. Listen, furthermore, the resurrection is why we have a living hope. Because who's the object of our hope? Sunday school answer, come on, guys. Jesus, he's the object of our hope. The Bible tells us that when he raised from the dead, he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's there interceding on your behalf. We have a living God who's praying for you right now. Think about that. This means that when you pray, you're not praying to some statue. You're not praying to something out in the universe that you just kind of hope happens. When you pray to Christ, you're praying to a living God who hears you and wants to do things in your life. That's a living hope. Through Jesus, we can have a living hope that can propel us through whatever is going on in our life. Now listen, this gets better. Look at what Peter tells us here. He says, thirdly, we have a great and secure reward waiting for us in heaven, guarded by God through faith. Okay? Peter's talking about that we have this eternal life that God has gifted to us that's in heaven. That we have an eternal inheritance, a place to live, a place of great provision, a place of great joy, a place of no more death, a place of fellowship with the saints and with God, a place where we will fellowship with God himself. And he says, because God is the one that's transforming you, he's also the one that's holding your inheritance sure. This is not a 401k on the stock market, okay? That's unsure. Peter's saying this hope is sure. You will get this one. This one will come true. There is nothing that keeps 
you from what God is holding for you. It will come about. And furthermore, God says, if you know him, he is actually holding you in your faith. As again, we read, it's a gift of God, right? He's going to hold you secure in your faith so that you will make it to the end, even though it may not feel like it now. It was about the perseverance of the saints. It's always been not so much about what I can do to stay in the faith, but what God is doing in me through His Spirit to keep me there. We place our hope in God, our living hope in Christ. And God says, just keep walking with me. Keep enjoying my love even in the midst of all these things. I'm going to get you there. And Peter is celebrating that. Now notice this. I think this fourth thing is one of the most important things that Peter is telling us in this passage. The hope of our salvation is future-oriented, okay? This is is something we got to get, okay, particularly in our culture, in our our now culture, right, on-demand culture. Our salvation is future-oriented. It says, look, God is keeping us for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, this is, this is an important to understand our living hope. You know, theologians often talk about that we're caught in this already, not yet. Right? We've, we've been saved. We're, we're objectively saved. God has said, your sins are forgiven. You've received my son's righteousness. You now stand holy and forgiven and transformed before me. But I don't always feel like it. <laughs> right? I still struggle with sin. My body's still falling apart. Been sick for three weeks. (laughs) Finally getting better. But God is saying, your salvation is coming. We all, we think about our sin and we go, man, I can't believe I just did the same thing that I did last week, that I did the last week, that I said I wouldn't do the week before that. Right? Right? So something feels missing. Our, self, our full, complete salvation is yet to come in the future. Peter says we've been born into a living hope because it hasn't been realized yet completely. <clears throat> I want to say this. This can lead to a lot of problems in our Christian life. Okay? This is really important for us to understand. When we over or under-realize our salvation, we end up with problems. If we think we are more saved than we are, then we can't understand why life is so hard. And, and we, can't, we keep sinning and we get discouraged. I should be better at that. Why is life like this? I'm saved. Well, the completion is coming. We're not there yet. But if I under-realize how saved I am, then I keep trying to work out my salvation before God. I keep trying to do things to appease Him. I can't rest in His grace. Or I don't, have the, don't think I have the power to conquer my sin. I, I get discouraged and stuck on that end of the spectrum. So we've got to realize that we are saved, and yet our salvation is yet to come. And we stay right there in that already, not yet. And this becomes a great living hope that God is yet to do something in our life that's going to totally transform who we are 
in our world. It is coming. See, hope is always forward-leaning. It's always looking forward. And if you're in Christ, then things are just going to get better. They may be hard now in seasons, and we're going to see that in just a second here, but they will get better. When Jesus comes at his second advent, we will be completely saved. (laughs) A new body that never falls apart or gets sick or dies. A mind and a heart that is free from depression and anxiety, satisfied in the joy of God every day. A sin nature completely removed. Can you imagine what it'd be like to not be tempted by sin every day? That'd be awesome. What a great hope. And Peter is saying, look to the completion of our salvation that is yet to come. It only gets better from here. So we have been saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. And if we know the hope in what's coming, it makes it easier to face the suffering we experience day to day. In fact, that's what Peter brings us to next. Look what he says. He's going to tell us how we can, <clears throat> how hope can bring joy in the midst of suffering here in verses 6 through 9. Look at what he says. He says, In this, so everything we've been talking about, everything God has done to save us, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love how this passage describes our faith, right? It says, you you don't see him, but you love him. You, You don't see him, but you believe in him. And it brings joy to your soul because we have a hope in this person of Christ. And yet the Bible is very clear that we got to know about the Christian life, that it's going to be filled with lots of joy, but it's going to be paired with great suffering in this life. That's what Peter's getting at here. Listen, we are saved and yet we live in a broken world that has yet to be redeemed and we will experience its brokenness from our own sin, from the sins of others at every turn that we face in life. And Peter says, you'll be sanctified through it. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's a good promise. goes on to say that as we look to the eternal hope of the things to come, we are renewed and we are filled with that joy that is to come. Though we live in a broken world, we know that good things are coming. We have a great hope, and that can bring us joy. I was watching a documentary on PBS the other day about <clears throat> the the crisis, the war that's in Ukraine, and they were interviewing a Ukrainian woman who'd lost her husband to um, some some of the Russian soldiers that had come and killed him, and, and they were asking her kind of last this last interview the whole thing, and they said, you know, what what do you think about all this? She said, you know what, I'm a person of faith, and she said. 
I believe this is in God's hands. And I have a hope that one day I'll see my husband again. And when Jesus comes back, he will bring justice to this situation. And that was how the show ended. (laughs) Praise God. Right? That is hope in the midst of extreme suffering. Because we have a living hope in Christ. Peter is also telling us that we can have hope in the midst of our suffering because God is actually using that suffering in our lives to transform us into what He wants us to be. I mean, here's the crazy thing as a Christian. There's not a second of your life, good or bad, that is wasted. God uses it all. You know, I've talked to some parents of teenagers and college students over the last several years, and they've lamented that their kids have lost this experience that they had in school. They didn't, they didn't get to do the fun things in high school or college, right? They didn't get to take the trips. They didn't get to have the social events because of the pandemic. And listen, we all feel lost over the last couple of years. But Peter is telling us even these unfortunate events, right, if it must be, if it's necessary to experience suffering, they will reap fruit in the life of a believer, It's not lost in God's economy. That time was not lost or stolen. Peter tells us it will be used by God to us that believe in Jesus in ways we could never imagine to refine our faith. We don't know what God is doing in all all of our lives for what's coming in the future as he refines us. So take hope. Hope is alive. Whatever you're going through, God will use it to sanctify you on His way to taking you to salvation. It's not lost. God is doing something. Peter also tells us this. He says, Your faithfulness in the midst of suffering, as you hope in Jesus, though you are suffering, will bring Jesus glory when He returns at His second advent. I think this is cool. The the best example of this, I think, comes from Psalm (coughs) 22. Okay, this is David writing a thousand years before Jesus about his own suffering and what God is doing in the midst of it, and yet we know that God as the divine author was speaking to us about what would go on in the life of Christ. In fact, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22.1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's suffering. Maybe you've prayed the same thing. God, where are you? Where have you gone? Why did you leave me in this mess? That's what Jesus is praying. And yet many believe that Jesus is not just quoting this verse, but he wants us to read the whole psalm because of what it says about what he is doing and the hope there is to come. He's given us a secret message, if you will. Listen, Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 7 and 8, Everyone mocks him because he trusts in the Lord. Let God deliver him. That's what the soldiers said to Jesus on the cross. 22.10, You have been my God from my birth. I'm trusting in you. They've pierced my hands and feet, Psalm twenty-two sixteen. They divide my garments, Psalm twenty-two eighteen. Psalm twenty-two twenty-two and twenty-three. 
yet I will praise you because you have heard my cry. And we know that God raised Christ up from the dead. Psalm twenty-two, seventeen, And all the ends of the earth shall worship you, Lord, for what you have done. Think about that. Your hope in the midst of trial will not be in vain. Jesus has shown us the pathway from the death of this world to the life of the future, even in his own life as he cried out in suffering and everything that was going on in him. And yet God heard his cry and he raised him from the dead and it brings glory to God and the world comes to worship him and he says, I'll do the same thing in your life when you're suffering. And so we should have great hope in the midst of suffering, that our trials, our suffering will not be in vain. If it feels like God has abandoned you and you're being mocked and systematically broken down, David and Jesus' example to us in the midst of our suffering says, you keep going. You trust God because one day you will praise Him and the world will praise Him for what He's done in your life when He comes again. Even if you go to the grave because of your child, child, God hears us and he has promised to come back again and raise us from the grave. And you know what? We'll praise him that day. <laughs> That'll be a great day to praise God that he has saved us. So Christians, let's hold on to our hope in this season. Jesus hears your cry. He is our living hope and he will do something about it. Might not be tomorrow. Might not be next week, but he hears and he's doing something. You will be saved. Now, Peter wants us to see that our living hope has been the hope of all of God's people for all time. So look at what he says here in verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories? And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through who those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, I love these verses because they give us a little bit of a glimpse in how the Holy Spirit <coughs> was working in the prophets of the Old Testament. It says they, they knew what God was doing. They, they understood from the things that God was telling them how he was accomplishing salvation, and yet they wanted to know, when's it going to happen? <laughs> when's this guy coming? What time and who is it? The Spirit said to them, look, he's coming, and you're, I'm giving you understanding but this is also being written for those in a later day that will see this salvation. And these are some amazing verses that the prophets knew mostly what God was doing in salvation. But notice how their hope was also future-focused. Okay, It's looking, what is God going to do? And I want you to see that the hope of the believer has always looked forward to what God is going to do. Hope is forward-leaning, right? It's, not, it, it's always upward-trending. 
Hope is hopeful because it's looking to forward positive change that will be done by God in our life and our world. But we know that the hope of the prophets was also built on what God had done in the past. And this is part of what we celebrate in Advent, that these prophets of the Old Testament had seen God work great works of salvation over thousands of years, and God said, look at how I did that, and now look forward to what I'm going to do. And He asked of us the same thing, that we would look at what He's done, and we'd stand on it, and then we'd look towards the future that He has promised us when He comes again. And as we look towards the past, we know that the future is solid and will happen. Abraham was given a promise by God to be a great nation. Right? That he have many offsprings. And God did. He blessed him with Isaac, right? His own son. And yet we know that Israel began to look forward to the particular son of Abraham that was promised to bless all of the world. When's he going to come? Moses was a great prophet, right? He, he led the people out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land, one of God's greatest moments of salvation in all of the Bible. The thing that everybody refers back to, look what God did for His people. He's going to save His people. And yet Moses said, I'm a great prophet, but there's a better prophet coming after me who you ought to start looking for. When He comes, you listen to Him because He's going to accomplish salvation. He's going to save His people from their sins. God made a covenant with David that said, your kingdom is going to last forever. And David had a son who was installed on the throne, and they all looked and said, this is great, but we know that this guy won't last forever. When's David's son coming who's going to rule? And all the prophets began looking for this particular son who's coming. Who is it? When is he coming to rule? The prophets began to talk about this suffering servant. Isaiah 42, 1 through 3 and 6 and 7 says this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That means if you're in here this morning and you're barely making it, it's saying Jesus is not going to squash you. He's come to comfort you. He will be faithful and bring forth justice. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring up prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Band, you can come on up. And at Christmas, this is what we celebrate, that all of the Bible was looking forward to God's fulfillment of His promises. That we have seen God fulfill so many of these in Christ. Jesus did come. He did accomplish our salvation. He came into our dark world and He lifted us into His light to give us hope. And He can do the same thing for us this morning in this season. Give you hope in the midst of all that is happening. We've seen His life, His death, His resurrection. And now it's our turn to hope in His second coming. 
or his second advent, that he is coming again to save his people. We look forward to his turn. Jesus said this, listen, in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in me, Christ. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In light of what God has done to save us, we have a living hope. In light of what he's done to save us and sanctify us in our faith, we have hope. In light of what he's coming to do in our salvation, Peter says this. Look at verse 13. In light of everything God has done, he says, set your hope on the coming of Christ. Let this propel you for life. Verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. This is our living hope, that Jesus is coming again, that he died and was raised and sits at the Father's right hand. He is coming back one day for you. He will take us out of the broken world and give us a new world that is perfect. All rights or all wrongs will be made right. We will have bodies that last forever. You will be with those that you love that are in Christ, and we will worship him in his presence forever. And Peter says, get your mind on these things. (laughs) These are better things to think about than all the junk that intoxicates our minds. Be sober-minded. Think about what's coming. And Jesus says he'll take us out of this darkness into great light. We need to keep our eyes on him. He's coming back, and then our salvation will be complete. 